0: in second corinthians 11 we uh will begin with verse 1 and paul is here's he's been defending his ministry and um uh and uh, the the temp- temptation the corinthians always had to follow after other teachers even if they didn't have their best interests in mind you know here was paul he'd always work in their midst uh wouldn't charge them anything uh he'd raise his own money by uh by uh tent making and by the gifts of other people And then other teachers would come in and they'd demand big offerings and things like that. And the the Corinthians would follow these other teachers. Uh, And so that's the context of what he says here. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super-apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. And then to Ephesians. In chapter 5 here, uh, Paul has started to give some instructions to wives and husbands. Uh, And we're going to pick up with what he says with verse 25 to the relief of all the women you know the women always love it when I read wives submit to your husbands uh, as to the Lord but uh, we're going to skip that part ladies so forgive me today um, the, and, and Paul's emphasis here really starts with 25 it's a it's the big thing for him husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her And then finally to Revelation 19. This is the end times. Uh, Jesus coming again. And we'll pick up with verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. As many of you know, Karen uh, has been for Uh, the last almost 20 years now, uh, catering manager here at at City Temple, Uh, although Feli has taken over a lot of those responsibilities uh, in the last couple of years and has done an excellent job, and so we're always uh, grateful to her. Uh, And one of the things I've noticed over the years that's rather humorous for me, maybe not so much for her, but rather humorous for me, is how people tend to respond to Karen when she's wearing her white catering uh shirt Uh, i've seen this many times uh, when people it's like it's like she vanishes you know Uh, people are you know they don't uh, give her due regard Uh, many times they don't trust what she says is true they don't trust what she says is accurate Uh, i've had you know a number of people ask her a question and she gives an answer uh, and then they'll go and they'll ask me the same question because they didn't like the answer that she gave, Uh, and I I tend to give the same answer. Uh, And and this this happens all the time, uh, the way that people respond to her, until they find out she's my wife. Once she finds out that she's the wife of the pastor, then their attitudes completely change. And they begin to show Karen the deference and respect that she deserves uh, not only as uh, the wife of the minister but also as somebody who is a, a minister in her own right as somebody who's trained who has her own master's degree uh, in, in, uh, uh, at the, from seminary uh, and so on and so forth and, and, and they tend to disregard her until they know who she is and many times that's what happens with the church there are a lot of people and I, and I would dare say almost the majority of people that I meet these days, including leaders that do not show church the deference that she deserves as the bride of Christ. Because that is exactly what the church is. And so often what people have done, they have made it their mission to criticize the church. Uh, So many people think that it's their job to point out all the faults that are in the church, they think it's their job to uh, to correct the church, to uh, to fix the church, uh, to make the church fit their needs or their desires. And really, it's so inappropriate, and we don't realize it. I, I often use this illustration uh, about uh, if somebody comes and criticizes my wife. Now I know her better than anybody. I've been married to her for 34 years Uh, she's been part of my family longer than she was part of the family of her birth you know so I know my wife and I dare say that I probably know her faults and her failures uh, and her blemishes better than any other human being uh, you know better than anyone else except Jesus but I tell you if somebody came to me and started criticizing my wife even if every single thing they said was absolutely accurate, I can tell you how I would respond. I would be angry, and I would not tolerate it. Uh, I have have been almost violent on occasions in the past when that's happened. And you don't want to see me angry. I'm kind of like the guy, David Bannerman, who who becomes the, the, the Incredible Hulk, You know, where he says, you don't want to see me angry. You know, and you don't want to see me angry. And one of the few times you could see me angry is if you start attacking my wife. If that is how I feel about my bride, how does Jesus feel about his bride? And truly, we as the church are together the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. But I don't think that most of us really understand what that means. I mean, especially today in a day of gender confusion and role confusion, uh, it's really hard sometimes as a man for me to think of myself as a bride. You know, sometimes I get criticized by women because I talk about women as sons of God. And women, you are sons of God because sons of God have the full inheritance along, uh, uh, as sons. So, women, you have the full inheritance. You want to be sons of God. It's a good thing for you. Uh, and then I'll say, you know, if, just think, if you're a son of God, I'm the bride of Christ. You know, which is more challenging. It's much more difficult for me to imagine myself in a white wedding dress. You know, it's just not something that that connects with me very well. And then on top of that, today when you start talking about Uh, A man like myself being married to a man like Jesus that can bring up all kinds of inappropriate connotations and so we often struggle with this reality that we together are the bride of Christ you know what does that mean who are we what how does that happen Uh, how does that come together and that's what Paul is trying to clarify for us there in Ephesians chapter 5 Uh, In in many respects, what he says is a little bit of a takeoff, because he starts by talking about wives and husbands. And throughout the years, there have been a lot of men who like to make much of uh, Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord, but they don't understand what submit means. Submit does not mean that you do everything your husband says, it means you cooperate with your husband so that he can become the man of God that God wants him to be. That's what submission is all about but the emphasis in this passage is not on what wives do it's on what husbands do it's not on what how wives should behave it's how husbands should behave so the idea is husbands if you want a wife who will submit then you need to be a husband worthy of their submission If you're not a husband worthy of your wife's submission, then don't expect your wife to submit. And that's what Paul is trying to emphasize here. It's very countercultural. Now, Many times women look at that and they say, it's so patriarchal and demeaning to women. It's not. Paul here in this passage is actually elevating the importance of wives, elevating the importance of women. Uh, Paul values women, uh, and he's really hitting hard on the husbands because he says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and now we're starting to get into the understanding of this idea of the church as the bride of Christ so what did Jesus do Jesus loved the church by giving himself up for her this doesn't mean just that he died on the cross for her This means that Jesus, who enjoyed all the power and prestige as God, laid that aside, emptied himself, and became a human being like one of us. So Jesus united himself with our humanity permanently. Jesus wasn't temporarily human. When he became incarnate, being born of the Virgin Mary... When he became incarnate, he became permanently human as well as permanently God. He was God before, but now he's God and human together. This is what he did out of his love for us, and this is how husbands are to love their wives. Now, to understand what's happening here, you understand a little bit from the Jewish wedding traditions. So what would happen is, uh, when a bride was set up, when when a marriage was arranged, the husband then would go to the bride's family. He would go and link himself to the bride's family, and they would have a ceremony called a betrothal ceremony. Now, betrothed is where you're promised to be married, but it's more than being engaged today. Being engaged today, you can break an engagement you could not break a betrothal without a certificate of divorce. So at the point of betrothal, the marriage was guaranteed. So here's Jesus coming as the bride, linking himself to us for all eternity. And then what happens? They have this ceremony where the bride is washed And she's symbolically purified. The ceremony is called the sanctification of the bride. Now what did Jesus do? What does the text say? He gave himself up for her to make her pure and holy through the washing of the water and the word. This is referring to that betrothal ceremony. So in that betrothal ceremony, What happens is that the husband is linked to the bride. Their hands are united together. And they are, for all intents and purposes, what today we'd say married, but they don't have that full union quite yet. It's not consummated. But the marriage is promised. And notice what Jesus did. He did that on the cross for us he sanctified his bride and then what happens after the sanctification of the bride and the betrothal ceremony the groom then leaves and the groom goes away to prepare a place for the bride and doesn't that sound like what Jesus said to disciples John 14 hey don't worry guys I'm going to prepare a place for you And then when the time is right, I will come get you. And that was the idea. After the betrothal, then the groom would go and he'd prepare a place. Normally he'd prepare his home. Many times he'd build the home. And you never knew exactly how long that was going to take. I mean, uh, sometimes a betrothal could last one or two years. Although they encouraged it to be as short as possible, It, it lasted however long it took for the groom to prepare the place. And so the groom prepares the place and then when the time is right, the groom will come back to take the bride to be with him. Just like when the time is right, Jesus will come back to take us together to be with him. And in the meantime, the responsibility of the bride is to get ready. And as the bride, you never knew exactly when the groom was going to come. Well, now, a lot of times you would. I mean, you get get the signs, you get some indicators that it's about to happen, but you never knew exactly when it was going to happen. Doesn't that sound a bit like the second coming? We don't know exactly when that's going to happen. You never knew, so you needed to be ready at a moment's notice. Because at a moment's notice, the wedding procession could start coming in saying, Hey, the groom's coming, the groom's coming, the groom's coming. And then the partiers has got to get it all together, and the party has to happen. And then you'd have the great, uh, the, the great m- wedding celebration, which was a seven day party. So you had to have everything ready for the party when the groom showed up. And so this is the dynamic that's going on here. This is the mystery what happens in this mystery there'll be a one day and at that party then the the marriage would be consummated it would be fulfilled uh, and made permanent through all eternity and that day will happen one day Jesus will come again and our union with him will be consummated in ways that we don't quite understand So what's happened here? Why are we the bride of Christ? We're the bride of Christ because Jesus has cleansed us. He's purified. He's gone away to prepare a place for us. And as he died on the cross, when we become Christians, two things happen simultaneously. The first thing is when we become a Christian, the spirit of Jesus is inside of us. Now, you can think about the marriage act. We have children, so I won't go into graphic detail here. But you can think of the marriage act and how the union occurs. In a similar way, even though it's spiritual, not physical, Jesus is inside of us. So Jesus has united himself with our humanity, and by his spirit, he comes inside of each one of us uniting us with his divinity not meaning that we're going to be divine not meaning that we're little gods okay that's not what I'm saying here it's distorted sometimes that's not what I'm saying we don't cease to be humans but we are in that moment united with our groom's family individually that happens every for every person who becomes a Christian in that instant We're united with our groom spiritually. Our groom has been united with us physically. The two of us have become one flesh. It is a very real dynamic. But the second thing that happens in that moment is that as soon as we are united with Jesus, we are instantly united with each other. Because the same spirit... That lives in me the same spirit of Christ that lives in me lives in you that very same spirit there's not multiple spirits living inside of us there is one spirit so together we are united with Christ and we are brought into Jesus's family just like the bride is brought into the groom's family and the Jewish tradition The groom doesn't get incorporated into the bride's family. The bride is incorporated into the groom's family. So we all together are incorporated as one into our one groom, Jesus Christ. And so we say Jesus is in us and we are in Christ. We are one with Jesus And that's true of every single Christian. You are united with Jesus in an extraordinary and yes, mystical and very difficult to understand way, but it's nonetheless real. Just as right now, Karen and I are one flesh, even though we're not standing together, even though we're not together up here, we are one flesh. And if I went to Kansas tomorrow, we would still be one flesh because we've been united together and the two have become one and that's what happens for us in Christ the two have become one we have become one and in our oneness we are united with Christ that's why you can't be outside the church and be a Christian and that's why if you understand this properly if you disrespect the church you disrespect Jesus. No two ways about it. If you disrespect the church, you disrespect Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Jesus is perfect. I'm not perfect. But it doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not. And we don't deserve respect for what we do but we do deserve respect for who we are because Jesus loves us with all the passion of his being and we are together the bride of Christ. Together we are one with Jesus, we're in union with Jesus and we're in union with each other and not only each other in this church, each other around the world. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and that is our extraordinary reality and one day we will see it and we will experience the consummation of it in ways that uh, we can't really imagine you know there's certain things that you just can't conceive of I mean take a football do you know that you can turn a football inside out mathematically you can turn a football inside out without breaking the cover Can anybody conceive that? You can't. You can prove it mathematically. All you need to do is add one dimension of space, and it's accomplishable, but we can't conceive it. We can't picture it. And I think the same is true with this consummate union with Christ for eternity. We can't really picture it, but we can get some ideas about it we together as Christians are the bride of Christ we have been betrothed to Jesus it's not been fully consummated yet but the day will come when Jesus returns after preparing the place for us he returns and he calls us to himself and we need to be ready for that day because it's coming so what do we do how do we respond to this reality how do we live in this reality well, I think Paul tells us two things essentially the first we find there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and again in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 you had a lot of people it it really wasn't all that different from today you know turning on the on the tv and and seeing all these guys saying hey send me money and my truth is the right truth and you don't quite know who to believe. Same kind of thing was happening in those days, except it wasn't, you know, the people on TV. You had a lot of traveling preachers that would come around, and some of them were really good speakers, and some of them were very entertaining and things, and people would want to follow them, and they'd ask for money, and people would want to give them lots of money. Uh, and all these kinds of dynamics were happening, and Paul was really concerned about this because they weren't paying attention to him. They were following, you know, all these entertaining teachers, and Paul probably wasn't a very entertaining teacher. In fact, I always imagine Paul was probably a bit rude. You know, he, he was the kind of guy who, who would just tell it like he saw it, whether you liked it or not. Uh, and, uh, and, and so a lot of people, you know, they didn't, he, he was short, he was probably a short ugly rude guy to be honest that's probably what Paul was like uh, I'm glad to be tall uh, and, and so so and so a lot of people would abandon him you know when he's in face to face he was pretty forthright but you know sometimes uh, he, he was a little bit different at other times anyway and so the Corinthians that are going after all these these different ideas of Jesus and different teachings and different theologies and things like that and I see it today you know I've seen a lot of Christians they like to go to different conferences and going to a conference there's nothing wrong with that but they're all they're hungry for the latest teaching. You know, they're fascinated by the latest demonic spirit revelation that's out there and how to do spiritual warfare. They're fascinated about the, the latest ideas about uh, predestination and, and the end times and all these other things. And, and they're, they're going around and they're constantly looking at that, but they miss out something. And this was the first thing. And this is the first thing. We need a simple and pure devotion to Jesus. As the bride of Christ our first responsibility, in fact, our primary responsibility, is to have and maintain a simple and pure devotion to Jesus. It's not about who you know. For me, you know, it really doesn't matter. I could read hundreds of books about being a good husband, But you know the key for me to be the best husband possible is have a simple and pure devotion to my wife. I'm married to her for life. There's no other wives, there's no other possible wives. The day I said yes to her, I said no to all others. And I need to keep my devotion simple. And I'm not devoted to her cooking, although I appreciate her cooking. You know i'm not devoted to her piano playing although i love her musicianship i'm devoted to her forthright and i want to keep that pure i'm not devoted to her thinking oh you know what would it be like to be married to this person or this person or this person i'm devoted to her and i want to keep that devotion to her pure in the same way we need that kind of devotion to jesus it doesn't matter You know, it's great to pray. It's great to read the Bible. I encourage that. It's great to worship. But frankly, it all starts with being devoted to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Quite frankly, you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my leader. I follow you. I don't follow you and someone else. I follow you. And I want to keep that devotion to you absolutely pure. I don't want to be devoted to you and money. I don't want to be devoted to you and my my work. I just want to be devoted to you. That is our first and foremost responsibility, that we would have a simple and pure devotion to Jesus so that we will be the pure and spotless bride that Jesus has made us to be. And it sounds easy. In some respects, it is. But it's also very challenging, especially in the world today where there are a lot of people and a lot of things competing for our devotion. So we have to keep our focus on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I often ask people, if God took away your favorite thing, maybe it's your job or maybe it's your car or maybe it's your house, would Jesus be enough? If you couldn't do anything else in your life, would Jesus be enough? I often ask myself, if, if, if Jesus tomorrow said, Rod, sorry, your preaching days are over. Uh, you're not going to sing anymore. Uh, I want you to go and live in a corner somewhere, uh, work as a janitor, uh, and just pray and serve me. Would Jesus be enough? And I'd like to say yes. Yes. But I'd also like to say, Jesus, don't challenge me on that. But it's a hard thing. That's, but that's got to be our focus. Jesus must be enough. We must have a simple and pure devotion to Jesus. Our second responsibility as the bride of Christ is found there in Revelation 19. It says that by the time that Jesus comes again, what's the promise? The bride has made herself ready. Our second responsibility is to make ourselves ready. Make ourselves ready. How do we do that? Well, it has nothing to do with makeup. It has nothing to do with a dress. Uh, We are to be clothed in fine linen. But what is the fine linen? It is the righteous deeds of the saints. Our second responsibility is to do good. To act righteously. Now what are the righteous deeds of the saints? It is the deed that is before you that is the good thing to do. A lot of times people say, oh, you know, what's God's will for my life? What do I need to do with my life? What you need to do with your life is the good thing that God is giving you to do right now. What you need to do with your life is to act Righteously. You know, I'll get men who say, you know, I I want to do whatever God wants me to do. And I say, well, God wants you to treat your wife well. God wants you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Do that, and maybe God will give you something else to do. Get people at work, you know, say, well, you know, I'm in this job. I feel like it's a go nowhere kind of job, and I just want to know what God's will for my life is. And I say, well, God's will for your right life right now is to act righteously in your go-nowhere job and do it to the best of your abilities until God opens another door for you to go through. The righteous deeds that we do as God's people make us ready for the return of our groom. And if we will do these two things, things—maintain, have and maintain a simple and pure devotion to Jesus, And do the righteous deeds that are in front of us to do, we will be ready when Jesus comes again. It's not complicated, but it can happen. And it can happen because we have a Lord, we have a groom who has loved us and gave himself up for us, making us pure and spotless, because that's what we are. You might say, Rod, you don't know my sin, I don't know your sin, and I don't care to know your sin. But I do know that Jesus has made you pure and spotless. If you have faith in him, if you're following him, you are individually and we are corporately the pure and spotless bride of Christ. And it's from the work of Jesus, not from our work, not from anything we've done. And Jesus has made us that way and he's filled us with his spirit so we can do his stuff and be like him in our character so that we will be one with our groom when he comes again. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it really is a foretaste of all of this. When you eat bread, when you eat anything, when you drink this cup, what happens? It goes into you. And you become one flesh with the bread and with the cup. It comes into your body and you are united with it. See how this is telling us every time that we are the bride of Christ. It's reminding us every time that Christ is in us and that we are one together. Many people often ask, why do I have one loaf of bread? I have one loaf because it symbolizes our unity as the bride of Christ. We are one loaf together. We are united with each other and with Jesus. And every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you for making us your bride. Thank you that we are betrothed to you together and that one day after you've prepared that place for us, you will come again. In the meantime, Jesus, I pray that you would help us all to have and maintain a simple and pure devotion to you. And Jesus, help us to make ourselves ready by doing the righteous deeds individually and corporately that you set before us to do for your glory and praise. I pray that you'd bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. And that as we eat and drink this together, as Paul tells us, the two shall become one flesh. And that we all shall become one in Christ. We love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. On the night in which Jesus...